Welcome to the Madera Method podcast. I'm your host, Mrs. Valerie Shelton. I am a historical literacy, English, and yearbook teacher at Madera South High School. Before we dive into our first topic, I want to take a moment to introduce you to this concept of the Madera Method. Back in the 80s, Madera sixth grade teacher, Mr. Bill Cote, started an ambitious project with his students which grew organically out of the curiosity the students had about a little-known series of headstone markers on the side of the road out near Chowchilla. Armed with only the minimal information on the stones, a few names and dates, the students began researching who these people, the Minturns, were. After a while, they settled on the matriarch of the Midturn family and wrote a biographical diary from her point of view. This book, the Midturn Chronicles, became the first in a series of biographical novels students in grades six through eight would write over the years as part of this Madera method. Now, at the time that the Midturn Chronicles was published, renowned author Irving Stone um, was so impressed with the project that he actually came to visit Mr. Coate and his students, and he dubbed the research the students had conducted as the Madera Method. So that is where we get the name, the Madera Method. Now, in 2022, I am here with a class of 16 seniors and one junior um, here at Madera South High School, and we're bringing the Madera Method to the high school level um, as the research method used in my historical literacy course. Um, I'm just gonna go around really quickly and just have the students say their names so you know who's talking and when. Um, so, of course, I'm Mrs. Shelton. I'm Juan. I'm Nick. I'm Jeanette. I'm Jamie. I'm Miguel. Hi, I'm Leslie. I'm Brian. I'm Jonah. I'm Karina. I'm Brianna. I'm Octavio. Yes. So that is everybody we have here today. There are a couple absent, um, but hopefully you'll hear from all these students today as we talk about our first topic. Um, so just getting into our class here, while many Madera Method projects, the Midterm Chronicles included, were hyper-local to Madera, um, students in this class took a broader approach, examining California's transition from part of Mexico to part of the United States. Now this all started when I shared a series of letters um, written by Benjamin S. Lippincott, who was a member of the first um, U.S. State Senate in California. Um, and he, in these letters, he detailed his overland journey westward and his involvement as a colonel in the Mexican-American War. And students were intrigued by the war itself when we read these letters. Um, having not learned much about California's route to statehood in their standard history courses. Um, from there, we began reading um, Irving Stone's book, From Mudflat Cove to Gold to Statehood. And in that, the students were introduced to some other characters from the time, including Captain John Sutter, Consul Thomas O'Larkin, Mariano Vallejo, Juan Batista Alvarado, Dr. John Marsh, and Isaac Graham. And thus, uh, the first Madera Method project at Madera South High School launched and it's an investigation into what exactly happened in the Mexican-American War from the perspectives of these men on both sides of the conflict. Um, over the next several weeks, these students will share their research on these interesting historical figures, 
But first, as a class, we want to provide some background on a philosophical viewpoint held by many Americans in the decades leading up to the Mexican-American War of 1848, and that is Manifest Destiny. So, for those of you listening, you have probably heard this phrase before, perhaps in a history course or perhaps only in the lyrics of a pop song by Panic at the Disco. Um, the song goes, Mama said, fulfill the prophecy, be something greater, go make a legacy, manifest destiny. Back in the days, we wanted everything, wanted everything. And that lyric actually beautifully alludes to this idea of manifest destiny. When something is manifest, that means it is clear or obvious to the mind or to the eye. So when one manifests something, they are setting their sights on something, as the song indicates. They're putting that goal, that legacy, at the forefront of the mind, as if to bring it into being by sheer will or self-fulfilling prophecy. Today, some might consider it a mindfulness strategy. Uh, when you sit there and you're envisioning your future that you want in an effort to motivate yourself and make it happen. But then there is this destiny part to the manifest destiny equation. And if something is destiny or fate, that basically means it's inevitable, that it's bound to happen. So going back to these years leading up to the Mexican-American War, uh, many Americans proclaimed that it was manifest destiny that they could see it clearly and obviously, unquestionably, as an inevitability that California, along with the rest of the Far West, would become part of the United States. So my students have done a lot of research about this manifest destiny, and we've read a lot of primary source documents and different quotes and got different characters' takes on this. Um, so I'm just going to ask them, um, let's see, let's just start. Uh, Nicholas, based on what you have read so far in Irving Stone's book and in your own research, what do you think the phrase manifest destiny means? It means uh, in God's will, well, in this case, that the country is meant to expand. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. That's really simple, that it, it was God's will that America would expand. Um, what, what does that mean, though, when we're thinking in relation to the Mexican-American War specifically? Um, Joanna. Um, the Mexican War indicated that the U.S. felt that they were the ones who were destined to take over the West Side and grow because it was like their God-given right to do so. Yeah, they, I mean, a little bit on the same note as what Nicholas said, they're God-given right to, to do so. They're, they're meant to expand uh, because God has proclaimed it. It's their destiny, right? Um, so let's get into some quotes, some things that we've read. Um, one quote we read was by John L. Sullivan, who in 1845 wrote, Our manifest destiny is to overspread the continent allotted by province for the free development of our yearly multiplying millions. Now, Karina, what does O'Sullivan mean by this, allotted by province? Um, it means that they believe that province, God created them, 
the right to take land by forces, a course of action they felt was both obvious, manifested, and unavoidable destiny. Right. All right, so again, going back to that whole God-given right, we're getting into like this almost religious sort of sounding reasoning. Um, now, another article that we read in the Democratic Review, also from 1845, it said that Texas has been absorbed into the Union as the inevitable fulfillment of the general law which is rolling our population westward. It was disintegrated from Mexico in the natural course of events by a process perfectly legitimate on its own part, blameless on ours. California will, probably next, fall away from Mexico, imbecile and distracted. The Anglo-Saxon foot is already on its borders. All this without agency of our government, without responsibility of our people, in the natural flow of events, the spontaneous working of principles. Wow. So, Brianna, what does this language indicate about the author and his stance? Um, so the author, which we have to assume is a man because women did not have you know, rights back in the day, um, we have to assume that the author is very biased and is like very pro-war in his stance because he uses a lot of loaded language like the words he uses is like imbecile and distracted to like describe Mexico and like probably the people who live there, like its residents or anyone who actually supported it. Um, and he supports his stance by inscribing a process perfectly legitimate, blameless on ours. This to me is like a big war, pro-war uh, sentence to write and publish to the public. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy that this was in a, a newspaper. It seems pretty pretty biased, like you said. That loaded language really points to it. Um, that's very good. Um, now let's see here. This all leads up to President Polk declaring war. So he declared war on Mexico in 1846. So the war was from 1846 to 1848. And when he declared war, part of his declaration that we read, it said, Mexico has passed the boundary of the United States, has invaded our territory, and shed American blood upon American soil. She has proclaimed that hostilities have commenced and that the two nations are now at war. As war exists, and notwithstanding all our efforts to avoid it, exists by the act of Mexico herself, we are called upon by every consideration of duty and patriotism to vindicate with decision the honor, the rights, and the interests of our country. Now, Brian, based on your knowledge, what efforts were made to avoid this war with Mexico, and what are the honor, rights, and interests of the United States? Do they, do they justify war? <clears throat> well, peace offerings were made in the form of monetary officers by the United States to purchase land, but the Mexican officials in the United States were negotiating with the thought to spread out far beyond the present bounds. They would encroach again and again upon their neighbors. New territories will be planted, declare their independence, and be annexed. We have New Mexico and California. We will have Old Mexico and Cuba. Sorry for the mispronunciation, but the euthmus cannot arrest nor even the St. Lawrence. 
Time has all in this in her womb. Hundred states will grow up or now exist but thirty. But what does this mean by the author? Isbos cannot arrest nor even say Lawrence? So that's an interesting question. So you're and here you're bringing up this quote. Um, let's see, there's like another, you're referring to the other quote here. That, um, who said that quote? I forgot. So yes, that was by the Commercial Review. So, but peace offerings were made in the form of like money that was offered in the United States purchase the land like you said but what did the Mexican officials that they were negotiating with what did they what did they say about those offers the what was it mean? the um so the peace offerings that you talked about that the U.S. made they were they were offering money right yeah but it was like low balling and insulting Okay, so that that's what they that's what the Mex what Mexico said in response. Yeah. Can you elaborate? Um, I'd say like they wanted a big piece of land, and that big piece of land was worth a lot of money, and mm -hmm. so they felt insulted by the price they gave. And uh, I don't think they were they were agreeing upon the negotiation. Right. So. When President Polk mentioned these hostilities, it sounds like it was just like them rejecting the offer. But does it really, um, does that really justify war in your opinion? Mm, I don't think so because President Polk mentioned host hostilities and uh, and only specific events that he, he refers to later declaration of the skirmish over disputed territories in Texas near the Rio Grande River. Right. And he doesn't even mention, like, in that skirmish, like, how many people died. No, like, he doesn't mention. So what were the number of casualties? So one would assume that it wasn't very alarmingly high, because if it was, he would have used a number. Um, but you really have to wonder how the skirmish even started. Because he says in the speech that he sent an envoy, who's like an ambassador, down there to negotiate. And the language that Polk uses here makes it sound as if the Mexicans there attacked this like one guy, this one envoy guy. But Polk never says that the envoy was killed, right? Yeah. He just refers to the envoy in the skirmish as if they're one and the same. But really, what we know is that he sent American troops down there. And if you're Mexican, and this is an undis this is a disputed territory, right? That um, Mexico thought it belonged to them, and, and the United States thought it belonged to them. So you're fighting over it. But if Mexico thinks it's their territory, and then these Americans come in there armed and attacked, what are they going to do? They're obviously going to defend it. Yeah. So. Some people were probably killed, but we don't really know how many. Does it justify war? Hmm. And why outside of Texas? Like, this was really a Texas thing, and somehow it became a bigger thing with California. So, yeah, lots of good thoughts. Um, and I like that you were kind of taking, like, thinking of this this other quote that we, that we go into later. Um, you mentioned... 
you know, that commercial review article um, that we read, this was after the war in 1848, and it says, have not the results in Mexico taught the invincibility of American arms? The North Americans will spread out far beyond their present bounds. They will encroach again and again upon their neighbors. And new territories will be planted, declare their independence, and be annexed. We now have New Mexico and California, and we now have Old Mexico and Cuba. The Isthmus cannot arrest, or even the St. Lawrence. Time has all of this in our womb. A hundred states will grow up where now exists, but 30. So what this means is that even after this war, after President Polk's um, declaration, and after they go to war in Mexico, and after they ultimately win, as we know they do, um, they win California, they're still not done. Like... They were planning to keep going. Of course, other things happened, like the Civil War and stuff that stopped them, but they were planning to just keep expanding. But that's really, really good. So I think to your point, you know, you're saying that we made these peace offerings, quote unquote, but were they really peace offerings or was it just always our plan to just keep expanding? So that's really interesting to, to think about. Um, I do think we have to realize though as we're talking about this, that this wasn't just like everybody in the United States wanted to go to war. They weren't all gung-ho about war. Um, there were quite a few Americans also, including like Abraham Lincoln when he was like a young senator there, and some other people that just, they didn't want to go to war at all. They didn't think it was a good idea. And we have one quote that we read by the famous writer Henry David Thoreau. Um, he said, how does it become a man to behave toward this American government today? I answer that he cannot, without disgrace, be associated with it. I cannot, in an instant, recognize that political organization as my government, which is the slave's government also. So what, what exactly is he saying here? Does anybody want to take that one? How about you, Juan? Do you want to give that one a whirl? Right, let's see. Well, given the circumstances, I believe he's trying to say how could someone support this government, the same government that was built and for slavery. Because by supporting it, now, especially these times, oh no, okay. It's okay, it's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> trying to get your mind around it. I didn't write this. Okay, because by supporting it is now, especially these times, then you're supporting its beliefs. So with that being said, I believe Zorosu uh, was not for the concept of manifest destiny. He did not believe in the idea of the American government with no entitlement to the land that they already resided in, should be in control of its own land because it's their quote-unquote destiny. America should not be allowed to claim this land where natives already settled in, and Zorciu believed the same. Oh, oh, it's okay, Thoreau. Yeah, it's hard to say. No, it's it's like I understand. I just kind of threw that one at you, and you didn't like think of it ahead of time. Um, okay. Most of these students have had a chance to think, but um, with a couple absent, you know, now we have some taking over. Yeah, I'm but, sorry, guys. Oh, it's no problem. It's very. It's still a really good answer that you, you came up with on the fly there that, I mean, he's talking about slavery. So we see here that slavery is a huge issue for 
Henry David Thoreau, and a lot of other people that were against slavery were also against the Mexican-American War for similar reasons, because they thought, um, if, if we remember correctly, they thought that um, we read a Giddings speech, and what he seemed to imply was that this whole war was about taking over more territory so that there would be more slave states. And that was why there was that big revolt in Texas, and that led to a lot of stuff. So, yeah, very, very um, interesting thoughts there. Um, so there is, an, there's one more uh, quote that we have here that we read. Um, and this was from the New York Evening Post, and this was in 1848, and which was also like towards the the end of the war here. So this is before it was over, but it was almost over. Uh, but according to this article, there was a debate about the necessity of the war and the newspapers seemed to take this stance that everyone should be for it. Like, <coughs> like why would anybody be against this war? And the article says, now we ask whether any man can coolly contemplate the idea of recalling troops from the Mexican territory we at present occupy and resign this beautiful country to the custody of the ignorant cowards and prolificate ruffians who have ruled it for the last 25 years. Why humanity cries out against it, civilization and Christianity protest against this reflux of the tide of barbarism and anarchy. So, Jeanette, what is the opinion on Manifest Destiny here? And what is the reasoning that they're displaying? The opinion of Manifest Destiny is strongly being supported and encouraged here. The reason being displayed is that the Mexican people are too incompetent to rule and govern Mexico. They believe the Mexicans lack the ability to do so, while also wanting to expand their territory. This is indicated by the word usage like ruffians and ignorant cowards. Right, so they just have a very low opinion of Mexicans. It's very, very much a stereotype. So part of the reason for, for going to war and saying the land belongs to them is because, well, we could take care of it better. The, the Mexicans aren't doing a good job or Spain's not doing a good job or whoever. So it's very, there's definitely some racial tensions here and it's hard to talk about, um, you know, it, it's always hard to talk about those issues, but that, that was a big reason that they felt they could do it better. Um, now, given all this information and all these quotes and things that we've looked at, what forces do you guys think contributed to the American expansion? What contributed, contributed to the American expansion was the idea of Mexico not preserving California. Resign this beautiful country to the custody of the ignorant cowards. The events happening with Texas also was a force that contribute, contributed to this as well. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. That's that's very true. And you you quoted, um, I think again, that's was that Polk's quote? I can't remember which quote you used there, but resign this beautiful country to the custody of ignorant cowards. Like that is that's crazy that one of these quotes actually said that about the the Mexicans that were living in California. Um, now, Leslie, why do you think the United States went to war with Mexico, ultimately? 
It was mainly due to the annexation, which was the merge between um, territories. So Texas was, Mex was Mexico's territory, but soon after it became its own country and then decided to join America. Um, although Spain did um, own Texas first, the overall issue rose from the annexation and where Texas apparently ended. Poker, James K. Polk, wanted Texas as part of the US. And I think this is what brings us to the simple but yet interesting term, manifest destiny, which is the belief that America had the automatic authority to expand their land, even if it takes over others. Yeah, yeah, very good. So one, let's go, let's go back to you with the, the question that you were actually prepared to answer. All right. <laughs> um, so how does President Polk justify an American declaration of war against Mexico? And do you find his explanation convincing? And why or why not? Well, folks try to justify it by saying that they attacked first and killed the Americans. He told Americans that he tried to negotiate, but history knows that he lied in order to provoke the Mexican-American War. Wow. So that's a strong, that's your, that's your real opinion. He lied. Wow. Would any president do such a thing? I don't, I don't know. Yes, I believe so. <laughs> so thinking of all those people, these Americans at the time, like David Thoreau, who spoke out against going to war, um, Octavio, um, what were, why, why were some of these Americans opposed to the war? What do you think? Some Americans felt that it was Mexico's territory that we were occupying. I didn't see reason for going to the war. They knew the United States government just wanted the land and believed in manifest destiny, but not all Americans believed in manifest destiny. Those that didn't saw no reason in going to war. Right. Yeah, this, you didn't believe in manifest destiny, you probably weren't for this war. Um, so thinking about that, Miguel, if you want to finish us off, what were the political consequences of the Mexican-American War? Well, the consequences were that um, many people were against the war, and um, it created a divide between the countries, which were later on um, lead to the Civil War. Yeah, so the division is starting, and a couple decades later, we see that there's even more division about slavery, which goes again back to Thoreau's quote, um, that slavery was a part of this, um, even though we didn't know that. Um, and that's something I think no one mentioned, that Mexicans and Spain, in this case, they were against slavery. They didn't have slaves anymore. They'd already outlawed it before the United States did. Um, so that was part of, of the issue and why they were fighting against it. Um, but that's very interesting, and I hope that all you listeners now have a, probably a lot more information than you expected about this little phrase, manifest destiny, and what it meant at the time. And I hope you'll continue to listen and learn more about the Mexican-American War as my students bring you this great information about different characters. Um, thank you so much for listening. This is the Madera Med the podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for watching.